Before I begin to teach, this is, this is going to be totally unrelated from what I'm teaching on, but I want to share something where I want to pray for people at, at the altar time. Uh, <clears throat> the Lord spoke this to me so plainly uh, a week ago Saturday. Uh, we have healing rooms in our church, and uh, every Saturday morning we have trained teams that pray for the sick in the church and in the community. And uh, before we pray for the sick, we, from 9 to 10, we have our time uh, in what we call the war room in which we just pray and worship. It's, it's a special time. Uh, I believe there are appointed places that God comes to. And it's one of those appointed places, kind of like the garden when Jesus would go with his disciples to the garden and the upper room was an appointed place. This is an appointed place in time for us. It's my favorite hour of the week, 9 to 10 on Saturday morning, because he always comes as we just... Maybe it's because we've got 25 people there who've given up their Saturday mornings to heal the sick. I don't know, but he just comes. And during that time, a week ago Saturday... He spoke to me about people's joints, neck, shoulders, back, hips, knees, that's joints. And he was just kind of sharing with me. He said, you know, as people begin to get older, they just accept joint pain as a part of the process. He said, but I'm the healer. I'm the healer. And he directed me to Hebrews 12, 12. So I want to, I want to read it to you. Uh, and and th- this is medicine right here. Those of you who have joint pain, this is medicine. It's God's medicine. You, you can get healed of any pain in your joints. You get hold of this one verse right here. It says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be out of joint, but rather be healed. And so when you have joint pain, it tends toward lameness. It hinders you. But God says, I don't want you to be lame. And I don't want your joints to be full of pain. I don't want them to be out of joint. I want you to be healed. And then I thought about Jesus on the cross. When they nailed him there and then dropped that cross into its socket, when he hit the bottom of that socket, his shoulders came out of joint. His knees came out of joint. Psalm 22, which is the psalm of the cross, it says, Jesus, uh, the psalmist is saying prophetically of Messiah, all his bones are out of joint. And because all of his bones were out of joint, he was filled with pain. And he was taking the joint pain, the arthritic pain, all that of the world, so that we could be healed. So during the altar today, this is not what I'm preaching on. I want to pray for people with joint pain. And you just reflect on Hebrews 12, 12. Because there's an anointing on this verse to, to heal those, those hips that are hurting and those knees that are hurting. Uh, we, we'll, we'll do that today. Praise God. I want to pray and then let's, let's get started. Don't count that against my time. Thank you, Father, for this time together with people that we love. And that, Lord, people that love you and they love the Bible. They love the Holy Spirit as taught is so eloquently presented to us today. It is to our advantage, Jesus, that you went away. It is to our advantage because the Holy Spirit could come and be you in many places and be you through us. So we just welcome their spirit, Lord. It teaches today. He's the author of the Bible. So just teach us today and cause us to hear it, receive it, believe it, and become more like the living word of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to begin today by telling you a story, and when I finish, you'll see how it leads into where I'm going. It's a sad story. I've only told it a very few times in my ministry. Uh, Many years ago now, about probably 1973, uh, I'd only been filled with the Holy Spirit probably about two years, was just wild as a March hare, and uh, a... friend of mine over in Gonzales, a millionaire cattleman, called me and he said, uh, Jimmy, he said, uh, I believe the Lord is telling me to buy an airplane for this missionary. He said, I'm going to spend a lot of money. And he said, uh, uh, he, he, he ministers in a place called, called Honduras. I don't even know where Honduras is, he said. And uh, I said, well, I think it's in Central America. 
He said, well, before I buy him the airplane, I would like to go down there and see the country. And I wondered, will you go with me? I said, yeah, I'll do that. So I looked up on the, on the atlas where Honduras was and, and saw that the capital was Tegucigalpa. I said, well, Bubba, just buy us both a ticket to Tegucigalpa and we'll go speak a week, spend a week in Honduras and see the country and et cetera. So he bought us a ticket to the capital city. And uh, we didn't really know what we were going to do that week, so we packed everything in backpacks. We didn't take any suitcases so that we might just be walking through the jungle preaching. We didn't know. So we just flew to Honduras. We landed in Tegucigalpa. We know no one in the country. The missionary that he's buying the airplane for is in the States raising money. We don't know him. So I said, well, Bob, I know this. Every capital city has a roster of missionaries. And we were both Southern Baptist background, and we both uh, just come out of the Southern Baptist uh, denomination. And so I said, let's just start with the Southern Baptist missionaries. So we got the roster. Sure enough, there's a whole list of Southern Baptists on there. And so I, number one on the list, I called him. And I said, hello, brother. I said, my name is Jimmy Darnell. We're from Texas. We've been filled with the Holy Ghost. And we just told God told us to come down to Honduras, preach the gospel, heal the sick and cast out demons. Wonder if you need any help. Boy, it got real quiet. He said, that sounds like that stuff that Ed King is doing. Clunk. Number two, Southern Baptist. Called him up. I said, hello, brother. I said, uh, my name is Jimmy Darnell. I said, I'm a pastor from Texas, and we've just uh, been filled with the Holy Ghost, my, my buddy and I, and God told us to come down here and preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, wonder if you need any help. He said, sounds like Ed King to me. Punk. Number three, Southern Baptist. Called him up. Told him the same thing. God just told us to come down here to Honduras. Preach the gospel, heal the sick. Wonder if you need any help. Sound like that same stuff Ed King has got into. I turned to Bubba. I said, Bubba, I don't know who Ed King is, but I think he's our man. <laughs> we looked down that list. Sure enough, Mennonite missionary, Ed King. So we called him up. He's a Mennonite missionary who's recently been filled with the Holy Ghost. God is using him in a powerful way. He is pastoring a church that's just growing like crazy. He's got this citywide youth ministry that's just got hundreds of kids coming to it. And the charismatic renewal was sweeping across the world at that time. And there's hundreds and hundreds of Catholic people in the city of Tegucigalpa who were hungering after the Holy Spirit. And the Catholic authorities didn't know what to do with them, so they just put Ed King in charge of all these charismatic Catholics in, this, in the capital. And he has a weekly meeting with these Catholic people. And so uh, when I told him who we were, he said, Brother, God sent you. I'll be right there. He picked us up, and it just turned out to be one of those storybook weeks. It just, it's just amazing. He was just moving into the ministry of deliverance and we helped him on learning how to cast out demons in, in the name of Jesus. Uh, we taught, uh, in his church. We met with the youth group that he was in ch charge of. And, uh, we actually ministered deliverance that week to the vice president of the nation of Honduras. On the night that he, had the Catholic charismatic group. We went there. There's hundreds of Catholics in this building. Now they're not in a cathedral. We weren't allowed in there. And uh, they're not in a Protestant building. They're in a barn-like building meeting. And uh, I taught and I preached first of all on how to be born again. I taught, I gave the gospel to them. And then I taught them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so when I got through, we have probably close to a hundred Catholics across the front of this barn who are wanting to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I instructed them on how to receive the, the anointing, the power of God. And I said, now when I come, when Bubba and I come and lay our hands on you, I don't want you talking anymore in Spanish or English or anything. I want you to speak the language of heaven. It's what the words that the Holy Spirit gives you that they begin to come out of your spirit. Speak them. And so we walked down there to lay hands on him. And uh, Bubba's one of these Baptists who's received the baptism of the Spirit, but he doesn't speak in tongues. And he goes up to this first lady. He said, lady, 
When I lay my hands on you, you and I are both fixing to start talking in tongues. And he did, and they did. Praise God. So it was, it was just a wonderful, wonderful week. Uh, Ed hooked us up with another missionary who took us up into the mountain, uh, way up into the mountains on mules uh, to preach in some of the villages up there. And as we're going up the mountain, uh, Bubba and I are about to start. We've been fasting for three or four days. And he says, uh, this house we're going to come to, he says, this old lady, her food is very clean. And he says, she'll be offended if you don't eat. We said, we'll eat. So uh, I'll never forget that meal as we got there. She's just an humble, humble Hispanic lady. And she began to pat out those tortillas with her hands. And uh, they had a little grate there with coals under it. Uh, and uh, she ha- took some black beans and put them on there and began to mash them up, began to mash those black beans and throw those tortillas on there. And I don't, never forget the salt. Uh, the salt wasn't like deal like we do out of salt shaker. It was a, a block, a hunk of salt, like animal salt or something. She just chipped some off with a hammer and or beating it up with that hammer. And, and so we got, we, man, we took those beans and put them in those hot tortillas and took some of that crunchy salt, put it on there. I think that's the best best dinner I ever ate in my life. I was so hungry. It was so, so good. But it was just a great week. And the time came for us to leave. And I realized the missionary really needed help. He uh, He's overworked. He's beginning to have dizzy spells. I mean, he's got so much going. And so I said, Ed, I'm going to try to send you some help. So I got back to San Marcos. We had a young uh, boy. I say young. He's about 25 years old named Roger in our church. And uh, he's Hispanic. He speaks good Spanish. He loves the Lord. And so I said, Roger, I want you to pray about going to Honduras and being our missionary, work with Ed King. So he prayed. He came back and said, I believe I'm supposed to go, Brother Jimmy. So uh, we had a big send-off service on a Sunday night for him. I let Roger preach. He never preached before. Boy, he put on his best suit. I mean, he it was a big deal to him to get to preach. And I probably should have picked up on something there that there was a route there that I had, did not know, but I didn't. So we sent him to Honduras. The last thing I told him was, oh, Roger, when you get down there, do whatever the missionary asks you to do. Just take some of the load off of him. Help him. Be a helps ministry. And, and Ed later told me that at first, that's what Roger did. If, if chairs need to be arranged, he arranged the chairs. Whatever needed to be done, Roger was just a servant to the missionary and a big help. But after he'd been there several months, Roger began to chafe at this menial ministry, this helps thing, just doing these little Mickey Mouse jobs. And he began to hunger for spiritual ministry, to be a, to be a great power preacher and healer. And so he went on a 40-day fast. Now, 40 days is a long time to fast. And he's already skinny as he can be. At the, near the end of that 40 days, Roger had a powerful spiritual experience, a blinding light, a voice. Ed later told me, he says, at first, I don't know, I couldn't tell if it was real or counterfeit. All I knew is Roger was changed. But a few weeks after that powerful experience, that same voice and presence came to Roger and began to tell him, you don't have to stay here and do these simple little jobs for this missionary. You have been anointed to be the great healing evangelist of Honduras. And all you have to do is just walk out of here and begin to go through the cities and the villages preaching and thousands are going to be saved and healed. And so Roger just walked out one day, began to walk across Honduras as God's man of faith and power, unknowing he crossed the border into Guatemala. Now he is an alien without proper papers and passport. He's apprehended by the authorities, thrown in one of those terrible Central American jails, and things happened to Roger in that jail that he could never talk about. We didn't know where he was for weeks. We thought maybe he was dead. Finally, he was located, and uh, a friend of mine who had a a powerful ministry, particularly in deliverance, named Norman Parrish in in Guatemala, uh, and had a lot of influence with the government, Norman was able to get him out of jail brought him to his home, tried to minister deliverance to to him, got nowhere, put him on an airplane, flew him back to San Marcos. The Roger who returned was a very different man than the one we had sent. The spring had gone out of his step. The song had gone out of his heart. 
and the light had gone out of his eyes. He had a glaze across him that, that I can't explain. I would say it's like near like zombies. You know, zombies are a big thing today, right? But he just was different. We tried our best to minister to him, got nowhere. Roger lived two more years and died of cancer at age 27. And I helped do his funeral. I believe Roger's in heaven today. He loved Jesus with all his heart, but he was deceived and killed by the devil. You know, I don't put any, I don't like to put religious frosting. So, well, the Lord needed him in heaven. The Lord took him. No, the devil killed him. He said, well, Brother Jimmy, I don't see how that relates to me. That would never happen to me and probably not. This is the most blatant case of deception that I have ever personally ever been involved with. And I don't think it, it would happen to most anybody in here. But I'm going to talk about some deceptions today that are more, far more subtle than that. Very subtle. If you would turn with me to the 12th chapter of the Revelation. Uh, chapter 12 and verse 9. I'm just going to break into the story here. Not particularly try to give the context or anything. Just to pick up this one verse. It says in verse 9, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Is that an amazing statement? That he is the deceiver of the whole world. In other words, the devil has deceived the whole world system. The whole world has bought into his lies and deceptions. You say, well, Brother Jimmy, that's the world. We're not of the world. We're not supposed to be, that's right. But we live in the world, right? And it's very easy living in this world in which that has been totally deceived by the devil. It's very easy for these deceptions to creep into our lives. All right, now let's go. We're going to preach from a parable Jesus told. Go to Luke 12, Luke chapter 12. It's known as the parable of the rich fool. Luke 12, verse 13, Jesus is teaching to the multitudes. And verse 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to a man, Who set me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? Jesus says, That's not my ministry. Jesus, tell my brother to give me my part of the inheritance. Isn't it amazing how some people will even try to use Jesus or God to satisfy their greed? Do you think that there are people today in the church that try to use God to satisfy their greed? There are. Are there ministries that try to use Jesus to satisfy their greed? There are. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The brother was probably right there. He's probably greedy too. He wasn't doing what he should have done. And so Jesus now will use this as a teaching moment. Do we all know what a teaching moment is? It's an opportune moment to share something very important. Uh, those of you who are parents, watch for teaching moments with your children. You'll get a lot further there than you would say, okay, everybody sit down. It's time at the table. It's time to talk about God. You won't get very far there. Look for teaching moments when something happens that illustrates exactly what it needs to be taught. Uh, 
My next door neighbor is one of our, is our other pastor, Tim and Tom. And uh, their daughter was, uh, a, came close to marrying badly, very badly. And her mom was talking to her and she said, you see so-and-so, and she knew her. She was a friend. You see so-and-so. She married badly, and look what's happening to her. And the daughter turned to her and said, Mom, I almost made that mistake. See, a teaching moment. Uh, I was, uh, two, three weeks ago, I was in a duck blind uh, with some boys. I, I work with a ministry called Cross Trails Outfitters, and they are, uh, they have men in different communities who serve as outfitters to work with groups of boys and they disciple them through the outdoors and through the Bible. They meet with them weekly to teach the Bible and they have a monthly outdoor event, a hunting trip, fishing trip, camping trip. Uh, and so they were doing a duck hunt near my home and I was helping guide some of the boys on the duck hunt. And whenever we go out on those events, they always have a, uh, a question of the day to be you kind of, so the guy can kind of be talking with the boys through the day. Uh, and the question of the day is, what does it mean to be lukewarm? We know the scripture in Revelation 3. Jesus says, I don't want you to be, I'd rather you be cold or hot than lukewarm, right? What does it mean to be lukewarm? So we're, we're in the blind and, and it, it, it's not a real cold day, but it's cool. And it begins to rain just a little bit. And we just, we none of us have brought a raincoat and we all begin to get soaked through and we're beginning to shiver. And I turned to the boys that are hunting with me. I said, boys. I said, I know one thing, I'm not even lukewarm, I'm cold. And that opened the whole door to talk about hot, cold, lukewarm. It was a teaching moment. And so this is a teaching moment for Jesus. Here's somebody's hollered out, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I'm greedy, and he is too. That's basically what he was saying. And Jesus answers that with, take care, be on your guard, would you think if Jesus says to be on your guard about something, we better be what? On our guard. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. That's pretty strong language in it. What he's saying is, Son, you've been deceived. You fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasure for themselves and are not rich toward God. Four subtle deceptions. In this story. The first one being. Life is me. Life revolves around me. Did you notice the inflection that I put on the pronouns. As I was reading the story. He thought to himself. What should I do. For I have no place to store my crops. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul. May I suggest that's just too much of the first personal pronoun. Me. My. Mine. I. This is a deception of selfishness. This is the deception that says life revolves around me. My rights. My wants. My life. My time, my money. Did you notice that there's no mention of God? There's no mention of others. It's just me. Would you agree with me that our old fallen Adamic nature is selfish to the core? Yes. It is. 
And so it's very easy for the deceiver to come and using our fallen nature to bring us right into this trap that life is all about me. I think that's why in the Gospels we see Jesus so much talking about serving others. You ever read the Gospels and, and it's no, he's always talking about whoever will be great, let him be what? The servant of all. Serving, serving, serving. I think that's, he's t- telling us that because if we'll learn to serve, it'll work the cross and that old selfish man that says it's my time, my money, my, my energy, everything's mine. Serve others, he says. Do you ever notice how much in the Bible it talks about giving? Tithes, alms, offering, being generous. I believe the reason for that is, is that God tells us to give so it'll help work the cross in our old stingy, Adamic nature. It'll work the cross in that old selfish man and we'll learn to be generous like our Heavenly Father. Amen? Praise God. I told the group in the first service, you know, I used to be the young preacher, but I've been around now a few years. I've been in, in church work, in church ministry for now getting cl- close to 55 years. And I will say this from my heart, the happiest people that I've known through the years are those who are always blessing and serving others. And so my challenge to you this morning is get outside of yourself. Become God-centered. Become other-centered, not self-centered. Because it's a deception that life is all about me. The second of these deceptions, not only is life me, but life is things. Barns and bigger barns. Did you ever notice that barns are never enough? It always has to be what? Bigger barns, bigger houses, bigger cars, bigger boats, more land, more money, finer clothes, and then hoard it all. Put it all in your barns. There's a word that describes that. It's called greed. And our society has bought into this deception of barns and bigger barns. That life is things. Answer me this. Is this true? Would this man have been considered a success in the city of Lafayette? Yes. Oh, the prosperous, successful man. And there'd be many people who want to emulate him to achieve the success that he has achieved. And yet Jesus calls him a fool, right? It's the same deception that we, that he who has the most toys wins. The Spanish conquistadors who came to America. Uh, I think it was Cortez or Pizarro, one of the two that, that said, we, we have a disease of the heart which only gold can cure. Gandhi, the leader for India's independence, said there is enough in the world for every man's need, but not for every man's greed. And that's true. Let me talk a little bit about the purpose of wealth. There's some of you here have been blessed greatly with material wealth. Now that's relative. Very relative. Some have more than others. The purpose of wealth, when God blesses your crops and your land and your business, the purpose of it is so that you can turn and bless others. Those of you who have a lot of money, if you forget that, you'll be in trouble. It's to bless others. We are blessed to share. But notice in the story, that never crossed his mind. He never thought, maybe maybe I've been blessed with abundant crops so that I can help other people. Never crossed his mind. 
Life is just things. I have a friend, he's a, he's a millionaire cattleman in Gonzales, not the one that bought the airplane, but another one. Uh, Upton's 86 years old now. I just went over and went deer hunting with him a few weeks ago. He still loves to hunt, 86 years old, got a lot of energy. Uh, opening day of the bow season, we hunted together. But uh, Upton years ago made a lot of money in the chicken vaccination business. He bought a lot of land out from Gonzales that didn't cost much at that time, and now it's worth a lot. And I was pasturing his pasture in Gonzales when the first oil well came in on that land. And I was standing there with him when that first well came in. And it was almost a gusher. I mean, the black gold is about to seep up out of the earth for it, and they're trying to get it kept. There's so much of it. And as that well is coming in, gushing in, he turned to me and he said, uh, Brother Jimmy, that's going to bless a lot of missionaries. Isn't that good? And now we're in an oil boom in Texas. The Eagleford Shale uh, deposit is, is massive, massive. And there are people who, who two years ago had nothing, and now they're millionaires. I mean, there's so much oil there that's coming in across South Texas, Gonzalez being a part of that. Upton has so many wells, and he's got tons of money. I always kid him. We go hunting or something. I said, Upton, you need me to buy his shells for you, or can you afford your own? But people don't know that uh, there are widows and divorcees in that town that, that he puts tires on their car. There are hungry people that Upton buys groceries for. There are people all, all over that town he makes loans to, which he knows they'll never get paid back. He's been blessed to share. Let me share a negative story with you. All of us have heard of Howard Hughes. At one time, the richest man in the world. Howard Hughes inherited millions from his dad. But it wasn't just inherited money that, that made him so famous. He made lots of his own. He was tall and handsome, six foot four, gifted with a brilliant mind, uh, was on the cutting edge of the aviation uh, industry for years, all kind of creative ideas, built the largest airplane in the world, the Spruce Goose, uh, just very, very brilliant. Uh, got into Hollywood, making, making films, became the, the rich playboy of Hollywood. Uh, immoral relationships with the top movie stars of Hollywood. And, uh, just, just rich as he can be. I mean, one time, he liked to watch movies at night. He watched movies, and one time he's watching a movie, and he missed a part of it, so he called the television station and said, rerun that again, and they wouldn't do it, so he just bought the TV station. <laughs> that kind of deal, you know. Lots of money. And, uh, but toward the latter years of his life, Howard Hughes began to be gripped with fears, particularly fear of germs. He had a phobia of germs. He begins to wear a mask all the time because he's afraid of germs. He, he isolates himself in one of his big hotels, hardly ever goes out because of fear of germs. And when he died, when he died, Hughes Air, Aircraft and Hughes Helicopters is worth $5.5 billion. And he dies now, a shriveled up 90 pound man, hair long and stringy, with fingernails and toenails that have grown like those of a, long like an animal. I wonder, as he died, if Jesus came to him and whispered in his ear, Howard, all these things that you have prepared, whose now will they be? A man's life consists not in the abundance of the possessions that he owns. It's a deception. Life is things. Third, not only is life me and life is things, but life is a party. You got plenty, plenty of stuff stored up. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, let me just throw in a disclaimer here. Those of you who know me know I love having fun. 
I really believe serving Jesus should be fun. We're all social creatures. I love a good party in the sense of the saints getting together and having good food, just fellowship and loving one another. I love that. That's not what's talked about here. This is the deception. The deception is that life is wild living. Indulge your flesh. Drink till you're drunk. All that goes with that whole wild party scene. And may I say much of America, much of our society has bought into that deception that life is a party. You watch the beer commercials on TV. What are they always? It's always in a party. There's a big party going on. And they're just drinking away and, and always sizing up the girls in the group. And how can we make out with this? It's, it's the whole wild world deception that life is a party. I saw a guy one time with a T-shirt on that said, life is a beer. I thought, my God, he does not know one thing about life. And another one had, had a T-shirt on with about a three-fourths nude woman and said, life is a beach. Isn't it amazing what people put on their T-shirts? My. Deceived. Tell you another story. A few months before Beth and I were to get married, uh, I was selected to, to work on a federal research project one summer at Texas A&M. I had planned to say that real loud this morning. Texas A&M. That's my school. But after yesterday, Texas A&M. But uh, another fellow was also selected to work on the, on the project, his, and his last name was Pisani. Pisani's philosophy of life was wine, women, and song. Life is a party. And I mean, he lived it to the hilt. And I'm always sharing the gospel. We're right there in the same room looking at these microscopes, and I'm always sharing the gospel with Pisani. And uh, he had a... He, he, he's totally bought into deception that life is a party, wine, women, and song, but he has a frosting of Catholic. Now, he's not a good Catholic. He just has a little frosting. But when I share the gospel with him... And he, and sometimes it would scare him and he'd go to mass. And if I scared him really bad, he'd go to confession. <laughs> He's a character. Uh, not only w- was his philosophy wine, women, and song, but he was a thief. And uh, we, we were eating one day in the school cafeteria, in the university cafeteria. And he said, I got some friends who are getting married next week. I need to get them a wedding present. So he just scoops up all these dishes, big stack of plates. He says, Darnell, most people get caught because... Uh, they're sneaky thieves. They're sneaky thieves. So watch this. And he just walks right out of the cafeteria, right by the cashier. Evening, ma'am. Right on out with his wedding present for his friends. One time we we're playing golf together, and uh, he said, ah, "These are nice clubs." So he hides some of them in the bush. He's going to come back, sneak in later, and steal them. And uh, about the next hole, lightning strikes. So they, whoo! Man, he ran back, got those clubs, put them back. Put, put him back in the thing, went to confession. <laughs> One day came in, and uh, he's kind of bleary, you know. Sometimes he can't see the microscope too good. Kind of bleary. And uh, I did said, man, this wine, women, and song, he said, it's just about to wear me out. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to drop something. I think I'll drop song. <laughs> but that was his philosophy. Life is a party. I, t- I wrote a few quotes down. I took these off the internet. Some of them are from famous people. Some just regular people, I guess. This, this, this all is typical of life as a party. I don't do drugs. I am drugs. I didn't fall. The floor just needed a hug. Make the most out of tonight and worry about it all tomorrow. Sleep all day. Party all night. Never grow old. Never die. You wish. If you can't fix it with duct tape or a martini, it ain't worth fixing. That's the, that's the deception that life is a party. And may I say very soberly to you this morning, life is not a party. Life is serious. Now again, we can have fun, right? Amen? But life is serious. 
It's about serving God. It's about serving others. It's about kingdom stuff. Praise God. The last one. Life is me. Life is things. Life is a party. Life is long. So, you have good stored up for many years. That's what he thought, wasn't it? Many years. God says, son, you missed it. You're deceived. You don't have many years. Only hours tonight you die. He thought he had years. He had only hours. Deceived. Life is long. It's a major deception that our society is bought into. The truth is life is short. Job, in describing the length of his life, says, My years go by like a runner. You watch the Olympics on TV when they, when they run the, the 100 meter, that it's under 10 seconds. He says, my life is like a runner. And then he describes, he says, my life is like an eagle swooping to its prey. Now, I have some revelation on that one. Beth and I were uh, in British Columbia filming some salmon fishing shows for our TV show. And uh, we were fishing in the Pacific Ocean between Vancouver Island and the mainland of British Columbia. And uh, when we got through catching those salmon that day, the guide said, would y'all like to see some eagles? They said, we'd like to film some eagles. He said, no problem. We ran several miles back up Discovery Passage between Vancouver Island and the mainland. He stopped, pulled out a whistle, blew it a few times. These two big old white shaggy head eagles came flying down off the cliff and began to circle our boat. And he would reach into the live well and take some of the live bait that we had left over, some live herring, and throw it up into the air. And uh, those eagles, way up there, suddenly would just go into a power dive and catch that herring before it would hit the water. Beth has the camera right in their face, getting all that, that footage. Feed themselves in the air, and then fly back up, begin to circle the boat, waiting for uh, another herring. This guy said, these eagles are my friend. I've been feeding them for 15 years. But Job says, that's how long your life is. From the time it takes that eagle down to catch that fish. So that's how long life is. It's very, very short. Todd, how does James describe our life? He said, what is your life? It's like a a vapor, a mist, a little fog that's here and then it vanishes. That's how long life is. It's very, very short. Tell one last story and we'll finish. Uh, Several years ago, I was on the way to the Texas coast to go fishing. Received a telephone call from a man with a ministry called Dream Catchers. What they did, they provided uh, trips and things for kids that were terminally ill. Their last wish, kind of like a wish, make a wish the foundation. And he said, uh, we have a little boy down in Alabama. His name is Cody. He's 14 years old. He has an inoperable brain tumor at the base of his brain right before the spine starts. And he said, uh, he's going to die soon. And he contacted our organization and his last desire was he wanted to shoot a white-tailed deer before he died. And so he said, we began to make preparations to take him on that hunt. His doctor called us and said, if you're planning to take Cody deer hunting in the fall, he won't make it. He can't make it till November. You'll have to do something else. So they, they were able to arrange a hunt on the Y.O. Ranch in central Texas, in Texas Hill Country. Uh, the Y.O. Ranch, if any of you who have ever been there, it's a 40,000-acre ranch, and it has more African game on it than many places in Africa. It's covered with antelope and zebras and giraffes and all of this. And, of course, there being, there's no season on exotic animals, so they could do the hunt. And he said... Uh, we understand that you and your wife have a Christian television show called God's Great Outdoors. And we were just wondering if you would come and film the trip, the hunt for Cody as a memory to him before he dies. Well, I'm busy, like all of you. I don't have three days to take out of my schedule. But when, with, for, with a request like that, what can you do? I said, we'll come. So 
About the middle of May, we arrived there at the Wyo Ranch. Beth and I drove in that afternoon. Animals are running everywhere. A camel is chasing us in our car. Uh, we get to the lodge uh, before Cody and his family do, and then they arrive. And I am not prepared for what I see. Here is this young man who only a few months before weighed about 110 pounds, was the quarterback of the junior high football team, the star pitcher of the junior high baseball team. He now is in a wheelchair and he weighs 195 pounds, swollen with steroids. His eye-hand coordination is not good. He's confined to the wheelchair. And I suddenly realized we are going to have a harder time shooting an animal than I thought. So we went out that afternoon uh, we set up in an abandoned barn, put Cody in his wheelchair right by this this old window with the rifle laying out of the window. We got the TV camera on him, and uh, we know those animals are going to come into water water hole, just like they do in Africa. They'll come to that water hole late in the afternoon. So we're all set up, and this nice psycho buck comes, comes walking into the water hole. Cody puts the scope on him, and he says, there's something wrong with this gun. He said, I can't see it good. It's, it's, it's not good. Well... I had looked through that scope earlier. It was a, a Seiko rifle, extremely good optics. Scope is beautiful. And, uh, but his, his, he, he can't coordinate his eyes. He said, I, I can't see it good. He's trying to get on it. Well, he shoots and misses. We got back to the lodge that night. His dad came to me. He said, Cody's up in his room crying. Would you go talk to him? So I went up there. He's laying there on the bed crying. Uh, he's not in his wheelchair. He's on the bed crying. And he's, I said, now, Cody, listen to me. I said, I've been in this hunting business a long time. I said, I have missed deer before. Any of you hunters here ever missed before? We all have. And I said, we've all missed. I said, what I want to do, I want to lay my hands on you and pray for you that God will help you tomorrow to be coordinated and be able to, Harvest a good animal. So I laid my hands on him and prayed for him. The next day was a beautiful day. Uh, it just, and we're running the camera all day. I have footage of Cody and I in the back of a pickup truck. And we, these two giraffes have their heads in the back of the pickup truck. And we're feeding them apples out of our hands. Just beautiful footage. Uh, he was, he was able to make a good shot that day, harvested his animal. And, uh, when Bethany and I got home, I got her to put the TV camera on me and I opened the Bible. And there at the end of that footage, of all that wonderful footage, I began to share with Cody about how God loved him and how heaven was open to him through the shed blood of Jesus and showed him the plan of salvation, how to receive Christ, sent it to him. That was in May. Cody died on the 4th of July. But it brought home to me the reality of how short life is. A month before, he's the picture of health, the quarterback, the pitcher, and now he's dead. Life is short. The man says, oh, I have many years. God says, no, you don't. Tonight, it's over. I'll tell you this little parable we're through. You may have heard it. The devil is having a big convention with some of his top demons. And the subject is, how can we deceive mankind and take them to hell? One demon raises his hand and says, I got a plan. Let's tell them there is no God. The devil says, that won't work. All they got to do is look around the creation and they know somebody made that, that God made that. Amen. The next demon raises his hand and says, I'll tell you what, tell them God doesn't love them. The devil says, that won't work. All they got to do is look at the cross. And know that God loves them. That he gave his son for them. He shed his blood for them. That won't work. Another one said, all right, I got the plan. Tell him, yes, all that's true, but they can never know God. He's too far away. He's too distant. The devil said, no, that, that won't work. If they know there's a God and they, knows, they know that he loves them, then they, they're bound to know that he can have, they can have fellowship with him. The fourth one raised his hand and said, I've got the plan. He said, let's tell them that there is a God and that God loves them and that they can know him. But let's tell them they have plenty of time. They have plenty of time to receive him. Plenty of time to build relationship with him. 
Plenty of time. And the devil says, that'll work. And that deception has been fed to the human race by the deceiver down through history. You have plenty of years. Just live it up. You can get right with God someday. There's plenty of time. No, life is short. Let's pray together. I want to pray for people. See, Brother Jimmy, I'm very selfish. I need the cross to be worked in that old selfish, Adamic man. I need to become generous. I need to become a servant. I prayed for a man the other day. I was teaching a little bit about selfishness. It wasn't this message, but... And uh, he's a big old burly guy. And he came forward and he said, I need prayer. He said, I'm selfish as hell and I'm a sinner. I said, well, I think you can get help. Maybe some that are caught in this trap that life is things and you're in the rat race. You're, you're, you're digging into that bottomless hole of greed. It's always bigger barns. They're never big enough. Maybe some here with that fluffy life's a party. That's a, that's a killer deception. It'll take you straight to hell. Today's the time. Life is short. Today's the hour of salvation. I'm going to pray. As I pray, I'm going to ask our ministry teams to come here to the altar. And we're going to pray for deliverance from these deceptions. We're also going to pray for people who have pain in their joints. So the moment I finish praying, you come as these are standing here to receive you and to pray with you. Father, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love the Holy Spirit. He reveals Jesus to us. He's the one that teaches us about Jesus. We love the Holy Spirit. And we welcome you, Lord. Come and fill this altar full of power. Deliver, deliver your people, Lord, who've been sucked into these deceptions. Deliver them today by the power of the cross. Heal these joints that are out of joint, these joints that are full of pain, so that we may not be lame, but can be whole. We give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name.